Paolo Jot won the Tony as Best Leading Actor in a Musical for his Broadway debut turn as Emile de Beck in the 2008 Tony-winning revival of South Pacific. This performance also netted him Drama Desk, Outer Critics Circle, and Theatre World Awards. Jot's opera credits include performances at the Metropolitan Opera, Scala di Milano, Paris Opera, Teatro Real, Carnegie Hall, the New York Philharmonic, New York Pops, Barbican, and South Bank Center. Paolo Schott, welcome to The Creative Process. It's great to be here. Thank you for having me. Exciting time. Broadway is back, and you are back with it in the role of Billy Flynn in Chicago, the longest-running musical on Broadway. I guess it's the 25th year. We in the audience can only appreciate it, but what is it like to be back in the role? And what were those emotions you felt as you returned to Broadway? How did you prepare for that? You know, it was a, a very emotional return and uh, the opening night, the reopening night was a very special one. I think the audience was absolutely hungry for a show and we could feel that in the applauses, in the reception from the second one when the show started. So uh, We've been preparing for that moment because, of course, we thought that it would be a very emotional night for all of that stayed away from the stages for so long during this pandemic. And my story with Chicago was that I opened uh, with that show in January of 2020 and was supposed to come back in March of 2020 uh, until May, but the uh, pandemic happened. And all of a sudden, my contract was stopped. So it means a lot to me to be able to come back to where we were before and to move forward. Most of the cast is the same. The principles are different. But that's one of the marks of Chicago. There's a big change in casting from times to times. And I believe that's what you have to do when you have the longest running show in the history of American musical theaters. It's been great since the opening on, on September 14th. We, we are having a sold out houses. We still sometimes we pinch ourselves. Is this really happening? And it is happening. So we are doing everything we can. We are testing. We are, of course, wearing masks backstage. We do rapid tests twice a week. Of course, the audience needs to show proofs of vaccination and keep the masks all the time. So we are doing what we can to be safe and what we can to, to open the theaters. Yes, and I'm so glad that you're safe, but it's the living theater that is just so special and it's nice that you can give that. You're really uplifting people. I want to say also about Chicago, this musical, what makes something a classic? And it just seems so relevant, even though it seems like from an era long ago, manipulation of the press and of the court and corruption and all kinds of interesting resonances for today. Yeah, we are still at the same place, I guess. All the themes are still very actual. And I think what moves the stories is the search for the instantaneous celebrity. And that's what the girls are all about, Roxy and Velma. They want to be famous. And uh, we see these days so many cases of the same thing. Of course, everything that you, you, you cited, corruption and crimes and the, the press, 
focusing on sensational stories. It's all there. And I think that's what relates so much the public these days to go and to see these stories because more than anything, it's a terrific play. It's a wonderful musical with fantastic songs and arrangements and the band is just incredible. Being there every night and to listen to that wonderful band on stage is really, really a privilege for any musician. So the play itself, it's fantastic. And the themes are current. Absolutely. There is something just timeless. I don't know if you look at old footage or what your research process is beyond the rehearsals. I was looking at old footage from, you know, the turn of the last century and, you know, it's colorized. I think this is a little bit what Chicago does, you know, when it's colorized and you can see the faces and you feel like, oh, they're people just like us. And they had these same dramas and they're a little bit lawless. There weren't as many regulations, but that's what I think. Right. You know, yeah, the crimes of Chicago are all passionate crimes. They are crimes that are motivated by passion. You know, my research is uh, whenever, wherever there's a material, it's, it's pretty fast. And this was based on a play that Mrs. Watkins wrote and based on the real stories of Chicago at that time. She was a reporter too. And everything is, was real. She wanted to tell the story of this uh, women in jail, their story. And I believe that when the play came out on Broadway, they didn't want those stories to be told. They wanted to keep it quiet. But I think it was so sensational, so good. And everybody wanted to hear that the play was transformed into many movies and it was transformed into musicals. And here we are at the same time telling the same story. It's very, very interesting. Well, there's different reincarnations, of course, the great and Ryan King and Bob Fosse and the whole special movement at Gwen Verdon. How do you get into that part of it? It's very interesting to watch. Yes, especially this time when I did Chicago for the first time two years ago. I didn't have the privilege to have the original director of this production, Walter Bobby, there. But this time... We had Walter, so we could work directly with the source of what this musical was all about. Just to be in the presence of that man, just to hear his stories about what were the focus on each and every scene, why this character does that, why do you sing a song right this moment, what does it mean, why do you go to the stage right on that moment and he was there to answer all these questions so it's a privilege this is something that not really happens in a musical that is running for so long and we had that so i feel very honored and privileged to be this time you know at this reopening because they really uh, wanted to make sure that the reopening of chicago was something new And uh, they wanted to bring the original ideas, the original characters to life, which is something very easy to to lose, you know, when you do revivals, when you jump into a new production, I mean, into a production that is running with a new person in the cast, you just jumped into it. And you want to fill that space. And here, uh, at this time, we were able to build everything from the scratch. And what pivotal moment or what unlocks the character of Billy Flynn for you? I mean, is it in song? Is it a movement or how 
You know, when did that click with you? Well, first of all, Bill Flynn is a man who, who loves what he does. He absolutely is passionate about the whole scene. He thinks he's the director, he is the actor. He casts all these uh, reporters and uh, everyone to watch him in court being a brilliant lawyer, which he is. And it's very interesting to see throughout the whole play how he has been handling all these cases, many of them very absurd. And he, with his talent of creating stories and retelling the story of these characters, he is able to find at the end those girls to freedom. And he knows he's very good. And the play, there's a moment, of course, where one of the characters, she gets hanged. And that's a surprise because at that time, nobody was hanged for a long, long time. So everybody was kind of, I would say, a little relaxed in terms of the court. Because if Billy would put a good story and would use all his art to tell the jury the facts through his vision, it will work. But for the first time, someone was hanged. So there's a tension there. Everybody is very nervous about it. Roxy gets all of a sudden very uh, tense. And I think that's the moment where he doubts a little bit and he wants to rehearse with her just to be sure that everything is going to be perfect, that she's not going to say anything that's going to be not right. So um, we see that in the play. And I think for the audience and for Billy himself, this is a great moment because we see him rehearsing what he's going to become. So it's a process that we all see happening. And when it's for real in the court, we connect these pieces that he showed her what this was going to look like in the real time. And it's very interesting to see the whole process and then the results. Yeah, so you can make people believe your truth as long as it sounds, you know, it's a little bit like music as well. You can make people have the emotions. You can transmit, you can transmit a dream emotions into people. I want to speak about another role that I think in people's minds, you'll always be linked with South Pacific. It could be on another planet from Chicago, because of course, this is romance and sincerity. Tell us about that role. Of course, that's how many of us came to know you and what you won the Tony Award for as well. Well, South Pacific came into my life in a very wonderful way, because I was already singing all over the world as an opera singer. And one day I I got a call from my agent saying, listen, there's this musical on Broadway. They are looking for an opera singer for the role that was originated for an opera singer at Japinza many, many years ago. And this is going to be the first revival ever on Broadway after the opening. And musicals were always my passion. Somehow my life led me to the operatic stages, my voice, my work, my whole life to be an opera singer. But all of a sudden, this was a wonderful opportunity. And the role is just perfect. It was written for an opera singer. This guy was to be this stranger in the middle of this whole army in the, the middle of the South Pacific. It seemed just a, a wonderful, a wonderful role. And I took my chances. I auditioned with the 200 other opera singers who were there auditioning. And then after many calls back, they decided for me. And again, it was my first Broadway show, you know, for real on Broadway with great actors like Kelly Hara and Danny Burstyn, who just 
one to Tony. So that experience was something that one could not imagine of a more perfect situation for an opera singer to be introduced into the broader community. And I feel very lucky that I got that. So um, it was magical. You know, we ran the show for two and a half years. At the beginning, of course, I was a little worried about because, you know, I was never a trained actor. I was trained to sing only. But I had a support of, of the whole Lincoln Center Theater. Bartlett Share was there and, of course, the colleagues. So uh, that was a fantastic experience. And after the Broadway run, we transferred the production with some of the singers to the West End in London. So I got to play South Pacific two and a half years on Broadway and a couple of months in London. And I think you were really made for that role. So it seemed like a perfect fit. And tell us a little bit how this dream of becoming a singer, I guess a dancer first, how did this come to a, a boy growing up outside Sao Paulo? Right. I was born in a very little town in Brazil, in Sao Paulo. And my parents are Polish immigrants. They were taken during the Second World War from their houses in Poland by the Nazis to a camp, uh, laborers in Germany for work. They were kids. And of course, they went with their parents and the siblings. But after the war has ended, they decided that they would immigrate to new countries like America and Brazil were offering jobs. And they chose Brazil because their cities where they were born, where they have their houses, was not Poland anymore after the war. So they didn't have their houses. So they took this chance. And I was born there. They met, actually, my parents met in Sao Paulo at the Polish church there, the community. And they married and I was the fifth child. So I was born in this family of immigrants who absolutely loved music and loved the arts in general. My dad opened this Polish art group that we were exposed to Polish music, classical music, folk music, dances, and all the culture of, of their uh, land. And I grew up in that environment. So for my mom, the music school was more important. Of course, the regular school was important, but she was always like, how is the music school? How is the instruments? How is the piano? How is the violin? They were, I think, responsible in that sense for our musical education. So I grew up like that, believing and really having the opportunity to develop in that sector of music. So I always wanted to be involved in the arts. You know, at some point I wanted to be a dancer and I got a scholarship to study, to start studying at the Krakow University of Jagiellonski. That's, that's its name. And when I arrived there, I wanted really to become a dancer. Of course, music was always there. I've learned piano and violin, but uh, I wanted to become a dancer. And then I started to dance a lot, take lots of classes. They have great teachers and I worked very, very hard. One day I worked too hard and I had an accident to my knee. I twisted my knee and my knee swallowed. I was 18 at the time. And I didn't want to tell my parents because, of course, my mom would wanted me to return and I didn't want to return to Brazil. I was loving the experience. So I went to the doctors and the doctor said, you should stay a few weeks without doing anything to it. And meanwhile, the course in the university opened their auditions for students to take part of the course. So I went to audition and they selected me. And when I started to sing, 
some scales, their conductor opened up his eyes and said, do you know we have a great vocal material? I said, I didn't know, but I'll take it. And then from that day on, I started to sing and kind of forgot dancing. And that's how it happens. Well, we are blessed to have your detour, but of course you have found your way back to dance. But as the, as the tree's roots move and find their way and get stronger by what tries right. to set us off path. Well, I think it complements, you know, all the training that I had as a dancer, of course, it complements in whatever job I had on stage and whatever roles that required some movement. I think that helped me a lot throughout my, my whole career. You have performed across the globe. How does the role of travel impact your career and life as a performer? A lot, you know. I think, well, I left my house in Brazil, my home, when I was 18. And since that moment, I felt absolutely that I loved finding my way in other places. And then when I started to, when I became an opera singer, I knew that the career of an opera singer required to be traveling all the time. And I took that opportunity with everything that I had in mind, meaning that whenever I had the chance to go, for example, to France for two months or sometimes for three months or to Italy for two or three months, I really wanted to use all the time and to learn properly the languages as much as I could because I love languages. And of course, you observe the culture, observe the country, and that there is no better place to learn a language than being in a place where everybody speaks the same language. So uh, again, it was a job with the availability for other things to open your mind and to expand your knowledge. And I really loved it, getting to know wonderful cities and wonderful places, great people, the culture of those places, and as I said, the languages. So um of course, after a while, you start to dream of being home. <laughs> but yeah, that's the job. You, know, you just get used to it. And of course, during the pandemic, it was horrible because we are all used to be on a run the whole year. You know, I spent uh, two years ago, six months in Australia. Really, you live in all these places. It's not a short trip where you just go for a concert and then you come back. You just, you've got to live. And sometimes you, you stay two or three months or even longer. It's, it's a commitment to something that you want to do and that you absolutely have to, to like it. Otherwise, it becomes, it becomes unbearable. That's what's so special about theater is that I think we're all social beings, but I think that the rest of us who aren't lucky to be involved in such a collaborative process, we don't appreciate everyone. In theater, everyone counts, even the ones, you know, preparing the theater, selling the tickets, and it's lovely to see it back. What were the feelings of some of your fellow cast members and also behind the scenes, the excitement? You know, it's very interesting what you just said. The theater only exists because of the sense of community. And whenever you put together a play or an opera or, or production, you become a family. You know, you have to embrace these people because you're going to see them every day. And just the knowledge that they are in the same position and they are there because they love what they do. You know, rarely you find someone that just have the nature of singing or the nature of acting but doesn't love it's very rare most of the people that work in the theater because it's hard work you gotta love it and the vibe has to be the same 
So we become, we become a family, you know, off stage and on stage, of course, because you gotta have people that play with you on stage in the same symphony. You know, there are a lot of myths, a lot of uh, people say about scenes and people being difficult to work with. I think this is a, a thing of the past. Honestly, during my career for the last three decades, I very rarely found someone that was not pleasant to work with. And, uh, and thanks God, <laughs> this is changing and all the diva that uh, are so, you know, talked about i think it's it's dying and i think it's a very good thing because we are all the same we're all humans and uh, nobody is better than the other so i think people started to reject this kind of behavior from colleagues and they understood that it's better to be normal than someone that is difficult to work with Yes, I think that you can see that when people love it and are appreciative to be employed in something that they love. And someone said to me about the musical theater, but I think it's also about opera as well, is that theater that's like realistic, it tells us about what reality really is. But when you have this musical element, you tell us how we dream and what it feels like and when the emotions, how they soar. And it is like the greatest art form in terms of being able to touch us that way. You know, usually a song comes in a moment where the words are not enough anymore. Usually it comes in a moment where a scene is going to a climax. And then when the climax arrives, that comes the music that gives another dimension to the whole thing and awakes in our brains different channels of communications not only the word but there is music too and paulo how does the production of chicago compare from the broadway show to performing in brazil well that's very interesting because you know after my run here i go to brazil for chicago in brazil for six months and i'll have to relearn the role in my native language portuguese but I'm um, very excited about that. This was supposed to be happening again during the pandemic. It was postponed two times. This is the third tentative. So uh, we are crossing our fingers. It's going to be a great production. It actually is the same international production of Chicago. It's the same staging. So I will know the staging. I'll just have to relearn the whole thing in Portuguese. And I can't wait to be home, to be in Brazil and uh, to present it to my family, to my friends, and to get to work with some of my Brazilian colleagues again. And so in closing, as you rejoin Broadway and as you are performing, we think a lot about the future. This is an educational initiative. What were some lessons or teachers that were important for you that helped you become the artist you are today? And for you, finally, what is the importance of the arts as you think about the kind of world we're leaving for the next generation? What would you like young people to know, preserve and remember? We talked about during this pandemic, it revealed so many things. And we talked so much about the essential things in our lives. We all know what is essential to live. And for some people to keep the mental health, the arts are essential just as much as anything else. We felt artists during this time a little bit uh, eclectic because for us, and as we just saw in the reopening of Broadway, people were starved 
of arms. And what we had in the opening night, it was not normal. It was a roar of people starved for so many months, not just us. So um, the arts are essential. And I think there will always be, it's in the arts that you find the way of talking about important things, criticizing everything around you, giving you a peace of mind you can find in so many channels of communications, artistic channels of communications, the answer for so much in your life and to find a quiet space for yourself through the art. So um, it's absolutely essential. And I love talking to young artists this last years because I think it's important for them to know that they are essential. And if they feel that call, you just need to love. You know, one teacher told me many, many years ago, she said to me this, if you really think for sure that you cannot live without it, so proceed. If you think this is some hobby, maybe maybe think of something else. But we artists, we know that there's nothing else we can do. And we could not do anything else in our lives but to do what we do. And this is something that you know, you know, as a young person, I have to be on that stage. And if you are one of those people that have to be on that stage, just go for it. Well, that is a really important message. And for those of us who are artists or those of us who appreciate it from the audience and live through your performances, you give and have given so much. So thank you, Paolo Schott, for all that you do to uplift people and bring them together through music and theater, the complexity and versatility of your performances that tell us not just about reality and this human condition, but about what it is to dream. Thank you for adding your voice to the creative process. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. It is fascinating that an artist can grow to be so versatile. Paolo Jot is an incredible opera singer with an extensive artistic background. From art school in Sao Paulo to Broadway stages, Jot continues to inspire individuals and to teach us that the creative process can be continuous. The Creative Process Podcast is supported by the Jan Michalski Foundation. This interview was conducted by Mia Funk with the participation of collaborating universities and students. Associate interview producer on this podcast was Anna Iselli. Digital media coordinator is Hannah Story Brown. Wintertime was composed by Nicholas Anadolis and performed by the Athenian Trio. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast. If you would like to get involved with our creative community, exhibitions, podcasts, or to submit your creative works for review, drop us a line at team at creativeprocess.info. Thanks for listening.